Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from the Little Feminist Book Club. Little Feminist wants to help you diversify your child's bookshelf. Each box is built around one to two books of the month that feature strong female characters and or people of color. Go to littlefeminist.com and use the coupon code WINNER for $5 off when you order or click on the link at matthewcwinner.com podcast to get started today. Support also comes from Storyteller Academy. Learn the art of storytelling from published authors, illustrators, and editors at Storyteller Academy. Sign up today at StorytellerAcademy.com. Holy guacamole, Laura, you've got 700 windows open. Yeah, I always, I, I, I try really hard to close some of them. <laughs> I opened up more. I, <laughs> you've, Ooh, I see you're, you're, you're running that new browser, Hydra, huh? Yeah, that's pretty much it, yeah. Cut off one of the heads and three more pop up. Exactly. So sorry. <laughs> this is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 480. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. We're continuing in a series of episodes that'll take us to the end of the year, and we'll draw near a number of blogs, podcasts, and online outlets that have inspired a number of the guests on this show this past year. Last week's episodes featured books recommended by two of the co-founders of The Brown Bookshelf, Paula Chase Hyman and Kelly Starling Lyons, and books recommended by Dr. Debbie Reese of the American Indians and Children's Literature blog, and Tracy Sorrell, author of We Are Grateful, Ojali Haliga, and regular contributor to Cynthia Lydic-Smith's Sensations blog. My guests on today's episode have helped to create a list of books centering on LGBTQ experiences, issues, and identities. Alex Gino is the author of George, and most recently, You Don't Know Everything, Jilly P. They are joined by Dr. Laura Jimenez, author of the Book Toss blog, a site, quote, where the serious business of reading in schools meets the absurd notion that research-based literacy practices don't have to suck the life out of literature. I asked Alex and Laura if they'd like to join me to share those don't-miss titles they've been recommending to friends, colleagues, and readers of all ages. Little did I realize we'd all get on so well and burst into frequent bouts of giggles and book joy. Please welcome my guests, Alex Gino and Dr. Laura Jimenez. So my name is Laura Jimenez. Um, I don't really go by doctor because I'm not that kind of doctor, uh, but I do have a PhD 
and my PhD is from Michigan State University. Um, my pronouns are she, her, her. Um, I work in children's literature. I came to it a little circuitously. So as I said, I have a PhD from Michigan State in educational psychology and educational technology. So of course I'm in children's literature. I, psychology and technology. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. You see that, you see that arc. I'm in it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I studied um, motivation and literacy. Um, you know, reading, especially um, adolescent reading uh, in grad school, and really came to children's literature because I figured out, because I'm really smart, that in order to read, you have to read something. And so I really have one foot in each one of these fields, one in literacy and one in literature. I think that... <laughs> I think as a librarian, I know exactly what you're saying about having a foot in all these different fields, but I love that that is something so clearly that you embrace. Uh, and I feel like it, it, it just makes you um, such an invaluable resource uh, to have a voice in so many places too. And also I learned so much just from following you and, and, and reading the resources you share on Twitter. So thanks for in that way, mentoring me and and so many others of us um so yeah i'm at um i'm at boston university and um we are considered uh what's called an r1 so a heavy research institution i decided a few years ago to take my research and put it in a public domain so i do what i call public scholarship so in other words if you read my really egghead academic articles they don't sound that different than my blog posts. Um, and I do try to make it educative um, and, you know, approachable and, you know, you can like something with. Uh, my name is Alex Gino. My pronoun is they, and I am a middle grade author. Um, my first book, George, um, is the story of a transgender girl, Melissa, who wants to be Charlotte in her school's play of Charlotte's Web. Um, and it's a story about friendship and about being who you are. Um, my second book, called You Don't Know Everything, Jilly P, is, just came out this year. And it's um, sort of the other side of the coin, which is seeing other people for who they are and respecting who they are and figuring out how not to um, trip over yourself and over them in trying to support them. Um, and I really, I believe in the importance and the power of progressive middle grade fiction because I think that kids that age are starting to figure out who they are in the world and how they want to be in the world and who else is in the world. And I think that tools like books are invaluable in that process. I would imagine too, since George has been out and now Jilly P as well, that you've had a chance to meet a lot of these readers and to be able to speak in front of uh, librarians, parents, teachers about uh, the importance of pro pro progressive middle grade 
fiction. How's it been meeting your readers? I'm saying that like with a giddy smile because I'm <laughs> one of your readers and I'm like, oh my word, I love George. <laughs> but how has it been meeting the middle grade aged ones? Well, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing that question with a giddy smile because it is <laughs> delightful. Um, and it's amazing to talk with kids who are having formative experiences that I never had and probably you and probably Laura, you never had um, where what they are saying is being listened to and what they're saying is being believed and they're listening to each other and they have access to language that I didn't have at that age. Um, And it's, it's delightful. It's enheartening. Uh, That man, you, wow. The way that, you gave words to that. You're right. I mean, I work with children every day and the fact that they have a vocabulary that I, I just didn't have. And they have not that, not that the world is or their situation, their circumstances is any more or less accepting as mine was because I don't, I don't know them personally that way, but to see and hear them talking to one another and accepting one another and feeling like they can present themselves more as their true selves, uh, not try to, man, I'm really like hiding my words. I can feel this already. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm trying to protect my childhood self as I'm talking to you, that there was so Mm -hmm. much that I, that I hid, that I felt ashamed of, even if, Upon reflecting, I don't know if I needed to be. I feel like I had loving and accepting friends, but it just, the environment, it didn't inform me that it was okay to to be comfortable with who I was in the way that I, I feel hopeful that my students seem to be in a, a, a different environment. Right, and, and media didn't the larger media that's outside of your particular friends and family didn't validate any of that. That's so I wasn't even in shame. I was just clueless. I had no name for this difference that I felt. Mm. Um, and so I'm still learning language from kids now that I'm like, holy, like I didn't know that now at 40. When a kid was just showing me around their school and they said, uh, these are our gender neutral bathrooms. And I was like, whoa, wow, wow. And then they said, and these are ours are, are our gender designated bathrooms. Ooh, I like that. Oh, that language. I know. I had never called it that before. Gender but that's what designated. it is. De- gender designated bathrooms. That's what public bathrooms often are. Gender designated. It never had it, that language. Right. I, and it just feels, I can't find any other word for it other than it just feels inclusive we just yeah. have this or this it's not that well we have the boys and the girls and the gender the gender neutral it's no no it's assigned or neutral that's amazing children right, uh, right. it's not the, it's not the regular rooms and then the gender neutral rooms. exactly these I, children I, I will say um you know i do and this is what i do so just get used to it I'm going to push back a little bit here. Do it. It's not, you know, all love and roses and happiness for kids on, you know, in in the LGBTQI 
spectrum and we still have lots and lots of violence and lots of kids that are not being accepted in their homes and their schools and their neighborhoods and in their churches. So I, I do know what you mean that there is more language and it is more inclusive than when we were kids. So I'm 51. So I'm 10 years older than Alex, but let's not kid ourselves. We're not anywhere near where we need to be. We're not there. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. We're not there. That's why I said, could we have Laura in on this conversation? Because (laughs) she will always notice the thing that we've left out because it's true, right? It's not that things are all bad then and all good now. There's a range then, there's a range now. Exactly. But I think, you know, and again, I'm definitely, I'm, you know, old timey lesbian, right? I've been a lesbian. My mom likes to say that I make, that I I like, I hit on the nurses when I was born. (laughs) (laughs) I never knew that I wasn't a lesbian. I may not have known the word, but I didn't know I wasn't. You didn't know you weren't a lesbian. Yes. Ah, okay. So that's that's a different, right? I grew up in LA, a little yeah. more, right? A little more understanding, a little more public, right? There was a, you know, a gay scene. Of, you know, my neighbor was a gay man. He and his partner would come over to dinner. So it was just, it was a different environment. And I think I, I never had the kind of coming out story that a lot of people have, that I think most people do. Um, I had, I think a lot like what Alex talks about, I had a realization story like, oh, oh, got it, got it, got it, got it. Lesbian, got it, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah, no, there's so many different experiences that when we talk about the coming out experience as if it happened one time for each person, <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> like, so. Yeah, that blanket. Yeah. Oh, you, you, you've come out. So now the whole world knows we're broadcast and it's all the same, right? I assume that you just, you come out the same way. You open a door and then the world knows. You got a, you got a label now on you that used to say, hi, my name is Matthew. And now it's got a little subtitle on it. I'm also queer BT dubs. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, man, you're teaching me language. A realization story. I wrote that down. I hadn't heard that before. A realization story. Just so you know. Say it one more time. I, I'm not sure anyone else uses that. Mm. Mm. But I might start because I didn't have a coming out story. I had a realization story and then I told people. Right. I mean, I feel like it's not unlike what Alex was just talking about with these students in the bathroom that giving language to something that I just didn't know what the words were before or I I couldn't my myself find the right words for. Um, you, you might be, Laura, providing that language that well, it sounds like that Alex, that Alex is saying, yep, that's that's what it's called. <laughs> That's good. Ah, my word. Well, we could just certainly talk like this for the next 30 <laughs> minutes, but <laughs> let me contextualize for those listening uh, a little bit more about the, the impetus of this conversation. And that's that um, I'm, I'm doing this series of, of podcast episodes where I'm pulling in friends to talk about um, books really um that are that are drawn from these blogs and these podcasts and these twitter feeds that i follow that have informed a lot of the work i've been doing in myself to be more inclusive on the podcast and to be um uh 
more also inclusive of my students and making sure that they and 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 other students see themselves in these conversations. And so uh, I think our mutual friend, Lee Wind, um, he uh, has a blog called I'm Here, I'm Queer. Now what the hell do I read? Uh, I have, have found out about a number of uh, great books through his blog and, and this year helped promote his um, independently released uh, book, Queer as a $5 Bill. Did either of you have a chance to read Queer as a $5 Bill? It just got an audiobook. I'm super excited about it. My my sadness is that I have a I don't have a TBR bookshelf a uh, bookshelf I have a TBR bookcase Ooh. and it's on it <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love, love the that. concept of it like going back and doing history because we gayness yeah. is not new right because it's about doing research on Abraham Lincoln and how he was queer like he's part of of our tradition that we are trying to find that we have so little. Um, documentation of yeah. yeah i regret that lee wasn't able to join us on the conversation tonight but i'm glad we have this chance here to talk about his book and and his work in the community too he's he's certainly someone that i consider a mentor and so so i'm glad that um through through all of this chain that it's brought the two of you here with me and i'm even more excited that <laughs> you brought some favorite books of the year that we get to just sit here and talk books because that's my favorite it is the best. It is the best. Laura, do you mind kicking us off with one of the books from 2018? Um, one, I should say, LGBTQ-centered book from 2018 that you feel like really spoke to you, really stuck out, something that you're really, uh, I don't know, in, in libraries we always talk about hand-selling to uh, children and, and readers as if you actually are selling, but more, no, more introducing, more shining a light on. Right. Um, I think for me, one of the big, oh, just uh, falling in love with books was Bingo Love, right? And um, so T. Franklin wrote it. It's um, uh, It was independently published or it was published on, on, on Image Press, which is um, comics um, for emerging artists. So it's not a big house. It's not, you know, it's not DC. It's not Marvel. It's not, um, you know, for a second. But it's a solid press. And um, T. Franklin uh, started writing these comics, and it features, right, it starts with these two young African-American women um, back in the 50s, and it follows their life, but there's an interruption. They fall in love as teenagers, um, and then there's an interruption when they get found out. And they go off in different directions. They get married to men. And, um, and it's not until they're in their 50s um, that uh, they, they're, they come back together. Um, and it causes a lot of disruption in their lives. But it's good disruption in their lives. Um, and their kids have to deal with it. And, you know, um, Hazel is still married. One of the women is still married and she's got to figure out how to navigate, um, you know, a divorce. And it's, it's just so good. And it shows so much love and diversity within the African-American community. Um, I think one of the things we don't have enough of is, you know, queer of color. 
books in the world. And here is a book that shows women. And I, the other thing I really, really love about this book is that one of the main characters is a very dark-skinned woman. Um, and the other is uh, a lighter-skinned African-American woman. And so you see this, you know, you see this colorism acted out. Um, they're friends and family. They're given different tones and different facial phenotypes which is so important in illustrated novels, you know, in, in picture books and graphic novels. Oftentimes we don't see that kind of, you know, um, diversity in, you know, skin color and phenotype. And here you have it all. I have seen the cover of this book and have put it on, on my, like, whatever it is, my, like, Amazon cart that you just kind of hold stuff forever until you get 20 bucks that you can order something. Um, because because of one just the beautiful cover design oh, and two gorgeous. hearing hearing others uh talk about it so to hear you book talk it is awesome i'm glad that it i'm glad that it <laughs> it sounds like page after page just kept kept hitting for you that's cool i did and i mean, and it's important to know i'm gonna just i'm gonna identify a little more yeah. so i i am a white presenting latina lesbian so i am in no way i'm not part of the african-american community so i'm not talking about this book like it is one of it is my story or it is a story i'm even familiar with but i think it's such a beautiful story from a community that we need own voices from um, from such a from a community that has such a rich tradition, um, and that you know, T. Franklin is African American, and she just completely hit this out of the ballpark. Nice, more from T. Franklin, and more support for this book, so that we do get the publisher um, sharing or seeking more books like this. Yeah, I like that. Well done. No, it, it sounds awesome and and i have seen the 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 cover and it's delightful and um what i really love about it is that it's able to talk about the past and it includes from what i'm hearing from you that it includes issues of race and racism but it isn't about segregation it's about a lot more it's about love um and that so that it goes back to that notion that we have history that we aren't just a new thing. Yes, absolutely. And I think it's very, very important. I mean, it starts, um, I believe it starts in like 1962 or 63. So you've got, right. So it does, it takes that journey with these two women. And, um, you know, I think when I teach, so I teach children's literature and, you know, I focus on issues of representation in children's literature. Um, and I think one of the problems we have, in literature is that marginalized communities get a single narrative, right? So right. You know, for African-American communities, right, there's their narrative is they get slavery, okay? Then they get the civil rights movement, four or five of them, that's it, right? And then they get urban decay. And that's the entire right. arc of the African-American experience in literature. And that's pathetic. Right. And and this book really brings out another story, another voice. Beautiful. Do you know that if T. Franklin has has other works or is this? She does. She does. You can find her. I'll I'll be looking it up. I mean, it's just (laughs) it's now that feeling of like, wow. So leaning into this, leaning into 
this work and more. That that's what a start. Um, <laughs> Alex, <laughs> I don't know that you want to attempt to follow that, <laughs> but um, <laughs> well, you're I, up. <laughs> I better because I have all these books in front of me that I want to so talk many. about, and I'm just like, ah. <laughs> um, so I do have all these books in front of me, and I want to start with the one that that I wrote on it. Hug this book. I feel like that's an appropriate place to start. Um, it's called Darius the Great is Not Okay by Adib Karam. And I am not a professional book talker the way that Laura is. So I'm just going to say some stuff about the book. And it's not going to be as beautifully linear as she was. But um, Darius is a kid who lives in the United States. And he and his family go to... Um, where his folks are from in Yazd, Iran. And uh, so he spends the summer there and he makes a friend, Sorab. And um, it's just a really sweet story of this kid who is dealing with some pretty severe depression, and but he's like working it through. And he's got this complex, complex beautiful relationship with his dad. And they watch Star Trek The Next Generation together. Um, and I find that endearing. I know that's Probably not what a lot of kids who are 18 or so are watching now, but I also know that I used to watch shows with my parents that weren't my generation either. Like, I've watched probably most of of MASH because I watched it with my folks. And so that connection really worked for me. And I thought about whether to even include this book in this this, uh, podcast or not because the question of whether it's gay is probably no but the question of whether it's questioning is absolutely yes this is a kid figuring out who they are figuring out what it's like to have a friend a friend not it's not romantic but a friend who is a boy in a different culture that has a different set of understanding of physical touch and a different set of expectations of what romance is um there, he's he's chubby, but he's pretty much okay with it, even though he has to deal with some people, you know, giving him a hard time. And it's just, it's a book of um, really that moment of not yet knowing. And um, it's beautiful. What a special it, space to save in a book. That, that place for questioning. Yeah. And to hold it there, to not, to have the restraint to hold it there. Right. It doesn't end with, oh, and then he was gay and everything was great. Yeah. Um, and if you talk to Adib, I believe he has said that, like, yeah, yeah, Darius is gay. Like, by now. He, but, but as he grows up, he's gay. But that, yes, that space to hold for, we don't need to know yet. Right. And that's valid. Yeah. I, you know, I meant to ask, if I, if I ask you first, Alex, about Darius the Great, what age range do you do you pick this for? Is oh, it middle grade and up? I totally apologize. It's it, I would call it YA. It's young is adult. It, okay. I mean, the kid is seventeen or eighteen. I think he's like finishing senior okay. year. I don't think there's anything like super explicit, but mm. it's 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 not middle grade. It's YA. Laura, would you also say it sounds like Bingo Love is YA as well? Is that would that be fair? Okay, so with. You know that those distinguish those. You know we all know those distinct those distinguishing lines are, are are blurring more and more. Yeah. Right. And so I would say this is a a great. Can we say upper middle grade? 
Sure. I'm wondering, really, uh, to be quite selfish, I teach K-5. I'm wondering, is this something that I could hand to a fifth grader? Is more where my brain is going? Got it. Um, so here's the thing. I think, yes, but. You know how everybody's always talking about they want yes and? I'm always the yes, yes but. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, but. I think it's going to, it does have, they do kiss. Um, they do make out. You do see the aftermath of sex. Um, and in one one image, because you, this is a graphic novel, so there's, you know, the story is told in images. In one image, um, they are, the two women are sharing a romantic bathtub, but there's nothing, you know, untoward. So it really depends on community standards. Mm. So... I gave it to my son and his friends when he's, you know, when he was in sixth grade or, you know, so seventh grade last year, I gave him an arc of it and it was not a problem. But again, I think I need to be conscientious of community standards. And so definitely why no problem at all. Absolutely. I think actually middle school. Yes. Not a problem. I think going younger than middle school, not because of the kids, right? It's not the kids that I'm thinking It's about. not the kids that are the no. problem. No, not at all. I think it's a great story for them to see. It right? sounds also like a, a great one for if you're looking at, if, if, the, if it's, for example, a librarian considering it to put it in a collection, good to read and also to, to be able to then recommend even to the, the, I'm, I guess personally, I'm thinking of the parents of uh, a child that I have a great relationship with that by me sharing it, I read this as an adult and loved it. You should read it too. I know that then it could trickle down, that they could read it and then give it to their child. Um, but yeah, good. That, that gives me a lot to think about. Uh, Laura, since we're back with you, do you have another book you want to share next? Um, sure. I actually think it's it's a great I, I love the way that Alex and I think. Um, <laughs> I, uh, the next one I want to talk about is when we love someone, we sing to them. Uh, cuando oh, all... you were telling me about this. Go on. Right? Sorry. This is another, and I, and I actually think it's a lot like the book that Alex just talked about, where it's very young. And this is young love. So this is about a young boy um, who is... He's figured it out, <laughs> but it is about that young, that, that very beautiful first love, not obsession, but that, that tenderness that we hope that kids experience mm. on whatever part of the spectrum they're on. Um, and so in this, um, it's a story, um, of a Mexican American family. And um, the author, um, I'm looking for his name right now because I can't remember it. And so I'm going to try to. Oh, oh, Ernesto Martinez. Um, so Ernesto Martinez is uh, Mexican American. And um, the illustrator is Myra Gonzalez. And they capture a really beautiful, fluid look to the book. It's a picture book about this young kid who loves to sing and comes from a family that, you know, you sing to each other, you show your love through um, mating each other. Um, and he wants to 
saying to his to his amour to to the boy that he loves and um it's great because it goes it it pushes on some very um taboo subjects Latin culture and uh or latinx culture i that i want to read that book right now i have not heard of this picture book and i am like frantic over finding this and reading it by Action Press again. It's a very small press. Yeah. Um, but it's so good, and it's so gorgeous, and it's sumptuous. I would say if you like Jushi Morales's work, you're gonna love this work. Oh, it's beautiful. Got, it's got the same sumptuousness to it. Um, ah. Yeah, and I think, and it's really cool because they even bring in, you know, um, folklorica and and things like Chocopelli, which is the um uh i believe it's aztec i often get my aztec and my mayan gods mixed up but chocopelli is i believe the aztec god of um harmony and seasons and song and so that's how they go back to it and and it's it's just it's just wonderful because again it's this story of this young love and and the family embracing that love so we were sharing off recording, off uh, in our email thread about these different books and a, a picture book I mentioned um, that I see that same beautiful, pure thing uh, is a book I've shared, I think, on here before, I believe. If not, uh, it's, it's a book called Jerome by Heart. It's written by Thomas Scotto and the illustrator is Olivier Talek. And it's uh, published again by a small press. It's Enchanted Lion, out of New York, um, and I, I found this book one just to be exceptional in the way that it held space. It's about a boy who, uh, a boy um, named Raphael who just loves his friend Jerome. He knows Jerome in and out. He won't. There, there won't. He won't let anything stand in the way of how he loves Raphael um, and there are moments where we see that those emotions conflict with uh, with uh, Raphael's parents that uh, I believe mom feels like it's just silly and dad sort of says it's time to cut it out um, but I love in this picture book I don't know that eh, I don't, I don't know that either of you have read it, um, but but when I'm sharing it with you, I just want to tell you that this moment after the parents, after this conflict with the parents, Raphael says this beautiful thing, something along the lines of, so I've, I've made a promise to myself that from today forward, I'm going to live for Jerome. And I just feel like that, that notion of childhood infatuation is something that alone is not something that's talked about, I feel, very often in children's books. But to have it between um, two young boys and to have it, quite frankly, be something that, as I said over email, for was the first time for me as a 37-year-old man, the first time I ever saw myself and my experience in a book it was profound to me for all as a librarian i feel like i've said oh it's so important that our children do have that opportunity to see themselves in a book and i sort of just 
was writing off, but I'm white and I've done nothing but see myself in a book. I felt how silly that I neglected this aspect of seeing myself. Yeah. I was so grateful to have read yeah. that book. No, I'm literally holding it right now because um, I went out and got it and it is gorgeous. It's phenomenal. Um, it's I, it's w- one of the only picture books I've seen where it doesn't end up with the parents accepting it because all of these books are written by adults and they're putting themselves in the parents' place. And sure, that's great and wonderful. We want the parents to always be accepting, but they're not always accepting. Um, And I'm going to quote from the book, too, because after all of this, it ends with, I forget my mom and dad. I think only about Jerome, who I know by heart. And I say, yes, Raphael loves Jerome. I can say it. It's easy. It's Um, easy. It's like, it's beautiful. It's it's a French translation from 2008, and it's, it's phenomenal. I didn't realize it was 10 years ago, too. I know that Enchanted Lion published it just this year, but wow. Ah, well, gorgeous. I'm so I'm so glad to have found it. I'm glad it found its way to me. It's always sort of magical, isn't it? The way that books reach us. Yeah. No, I'm glad that you shared it because it is, I love it. Ah, I love it. I love that book. It's easy. <laughs> ah. Okay, smiling still. Alex, your turn. <laughs> I would love to go. I would love to sort of um, finish out the picture part, picture book part of things, I think, as far as I know what we're talking about. And this is a book. Um, it's called Neither by Early Anderson. And 85% love it. 15% have an issue with it. So let me tell you why I love it. Um, it's... So it was clearly inspired by someone who was eating peeps one day. Because it's this world. <laughs> if you've seen the cover, you know. I, have, I love it. <laughs> it's this world where everyone is either a blue bunny or a yellow chick. And everything, it's just, it's in peep colors. Um, and this green chick bunny gets born who is neither. And... So all the bunnies are like, you're not us. And the chicks are like, you're not us. You're neither. Get out of here. Go find people like you. Um, right? That horrible thing, that, that ostracization thing. Ostracization thing. Um, so neither ends up in the land of all. Where it turns out, no, there's not a whole lot of people like neither. There's a whole lot of people who are all of these different ways. Right? Because it's not about finding people who are like you it's about finding people who like you for who you are and it's beautiful um at, to to speak about non-binary people with young kids the problem is is that there is zero queer language on the page and it's not even in the back matter where it says hey like gender queer non-binary trans you know queer these are some language some words that might apply to the people you're talking about here. Um, And so it's like, I get the notion of wanting to leave it open so it can get into lots of places where it might not get if it said gay on the cover. Um, But it's also, we've been talking how important it is to have actual language. So it's a book that I love, but I think I want to have a conversation with every person who picks it up and say, this book is really queer. It's not just open and about like ethereal stuff. Right. I think sometimes we, um, 
we see books like that and you know there's lots of different language around it but sometimes you know a good way to think about it is that idea of a melting pot so that you've got mm-hmm. these different things and they all work together to make this one experience and I often don't like those books um, because I don't want to be part of the same experience without that language I think it really lacks. To me, it was more like the fruit salad versus melting pot because the whole idea was that you're not trying to find people like you. You're trying to find that whole, as I read it, is that whole range of queerness. We're not all queer in the same way, but without the word queer... It loses meaning. It loses meaning. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I really, really do. And I love the way it looks. It's got such a fun... It's fun and exciting. It's exciting and funny. I can say that it worked in live time with my niblet, my sister's kid. We were reading it, and as the reading started, my my niblet was kind of like, oh, yeah, that's neither. You know, you can't do that. You can't do that. And real time, the narrative, she was like, oh, 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 wait, wait. There's, there's, you can do all of the things. Um, So I love that, but I was there to read it with her. Yeah. Right. So it really needs to be, you know, so in literacy speak, it really needs to be a mediated text. You need to be there to explain that un, that unspoken. Right. Hmm. Yeah. It's causing me to think about what it means then for someone, for, uh, for someone to, to share it with, readers i wonder what it would call i wonder how it would feel to read it in front of because it's clearly written for very young isn't it it feels aimed at almost like a preschool age not that you couldn't share it with an older child but i wonder i wonder what it might feel like for someone to have a child question what 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 that book was saying to them to have that space for that conversation and whether or not that individual would feel comfortable naming it because the book doesn't name it. This is really causing me to scratch my head, but it, 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 it wakes me up to that notion of the importance of using that actual language and of giving, of providing that actual language to be able to be that bridge. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for for challenging me that way and sharing that. Yeah, but I, I I love too that the way you shared Alex that it was that the book sort of felt as if the narrative was unfolding as the child's processing it was also unfolding. That's really interesting to know that. Huh. Cool. Wow. Okay. I'm going to need to take a break and just think about that. (laughs) Support for the Children's Book Podcast also comes from the Highlights Foundation, hosting intimate and inspiring workshops for children's authors and illustrators. Thinking about writing for children? Or have you always wanted to write a children's book but aren't quite sure how it works? Join us March 21st to 24th, 2019 for Everything You Need to Know About Children's Publishing, a Crash Course, 
and learn everything there is to know about the children's publishing world, including how the publishing process works, how to know when you're ready to submit a manuscript, how to find which publishers to submit to, how contracts work, the editorial and marketing process, and a whole lot more. And you'll hear from a number of people in the industry who can help to understand the process. Faculty includes Harold Underdown, Leah Henderson, Rachel Werner, Allison Green Myers, Lindsay Barrett George, and me. Yep, I'll be there too. Registration is now open. Visit highlightsfoundation.org. And from Viz Media. Viz is excited to announce that Pokemon Adventures, the most popular and longest-running Pokemon comic, is now available digitally. Visit viz.com Pokemon to read a free preview of the beloved All Ages series. That's viz.com Pokemon. I'm, I'm watching our time. I'm, I'm realizing, like, we could make this probably an all-night podcast, and that'd be super fun. But, um... I, I know you each brought a lot of really wonderful books. Would you mind choosing one more to share sort of this long form book talk? And then we'll, we'll save the, the two or three you each have left over and sort of do a, a lightning round. Is, would that be, are you comfortable choosing just one more Laura to share a little bit longer talk? Yes. Great. Um, so I guess if I was going to choose, so I, I, I brought four because I figured I had to stop at some point, but (laughs) so the one I'm going to choose the, the third that I'm, that's going to win this out, what's going to win out on this is dear Rachel Maddow. Yes. Right. (laughs) It is so wonderful. And, um, I think this one I'm going to choose because of my partner, um, who I can imagine being Bryn from this book. <laughs> um, so um, it's written by Adrian K- um, Kessner or Kissner. Kissner. Um, and it's about a girl. Her name is Bryn. She's 16 years old. Um, and as, uh, as she's assigned a right to a hero, um, write a letter to a hero. Okay. That's, that's her, the, the book. That's the assignment for for from her english teacher who she described as the only one who doesn't think she's a lost cause okay so her english teacher is very important to her and bryn writes to rachel maddow and the amazing thing is is that rachel maddow writes back okay but the interesting thing about this is you only get bryn's side of this letter writing Right, so you get her reaction to Rachel Maddow writing back, but you don't actually get the words, right? And she, be, you know, and I love sometimes these different formats. And so when you see uh, uh, somebody's life in these one-sided letters, it ends up little bits of detail end up squeaking out, just little bit by little bit. So you see that, you know, she has a mom. She lives with her mom and what she refers to as the fart weasel, <laughs> um, which name. Yes, uh, <laughs> which I know Alex and I really, really enjoy. Thanks. Like <laughs> <laughs> so that's her stepdad. And, you know, so she's got an absent father. She ends up writing to him later on and that, you know, and you see that email chain, um, you know, there's issues with her brother, um, and it's all hinted at and it all comes out very, very slowly throughout this book. And it's it's such a wonderful 
way of seeing how life unfolds for us in front of us as we tell our own stories. And she, of course, you know, Bryn has a crush on um, uh, uh, a girl and you don't know if it's mutual for a long time. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's part of adolescence. We never knew when, if you were out when you were young, you have no idea if the other person has any idea how you feel and that it's so dangerous and it's so tantalizing. Yeah. Uh, so this is definitely YA. I mean, this is, this is YA. Um, I think middle school kids could probably read it, but um, it's got language in it. It's got F-bombs in it. It's got, you know, um, you know hints of sex. It's definitely got yearning, right? Um, it's got sexuality in it. Um, so I think that stuff is important for middle schoolers. But again, I'm trying to be aware that I may be a little more liberal than other people. So I think definitely YA. Laura, this story of seeing letters one side but not reading the return and and then the reader then sort of intuits what that return letter must have said based on the response. I have not read this book, but that is really fascinating to me that the story is written in part that way. Yeah, I really want to put a plug in for you to talk to the author because I want to know how she did this. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to just slide that book up on the TBR. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah, and it's, you know, you, you're you not wrong. That notion of reading a book and then wanting to know where does this come from? How did this do that? Is Those are my favorite kind of books where you just feel compelled to know more that story just takes takes root in you takes a home in you that's so cool that that this book has done that for you ah yeah i'm gonna have to yep this is all very self-serving i'm just making my tbr list that i get to go to my library and keep reading over winter break thank you Absolutely. <laughs> that's what we're here for oh so good so good alex one more that you want to sort of long form book talk Okay, I have two more in front of me, and I have to pick, and I will pick um, middle grade title because I don't, because because I am. Um, it's called it's Hurricane Child by uh, Corinne Callender, and first of all, the cover's gorgeous, so let's let's acknowledge that. Yeah. Um, and so it's about a girl who is born on Water Island um, in the Caribbean, uh, which is near Saint Thomas. Uh, she's born during a storm which is why she's a hurricane child. And it's, she has a, a friend who she starts to have stronger feelings for Kalinda. And it takes time for Kalinda to adjust because of how she, you know, how she was raised and what this, she definitely was taught that, you know, queerness was a sin, but she comes around because she realizes that this friend is someone who she loves. Um, and where it goes to is her going to, find her mom, who she has not seen in a long time. Um, and Kalinda helps her go find her mom. And her mom has mental illness, and that's why she ducked out. That's why she left. She was like, I can't do this. And um, that's complicated, because it doesn't really answer the question of 
um, whether that was legitimate or not. Um, and it's left with with uh, the main character having to think about, like, what is it? Like, where am I now? Um, the main character, Caroline. And the thing that really uh, I love about this book, maybe more than anything else, is that it addresses the issue of keeping information from kids as if it saves them pain. So her mom was hidden from her. They didn't tell her about their mom's mental illness because, you know, oh, it would be so hard to take that in. But how much harder it is it is it to not know where your mom is and to not know why she's not there. Yes. Um, and I think that's a big thing in middle grade is that people treat them like they are still very, very young. But they're about to turn into older people. Um, and we need to give them tools for that. And I think this book does that. Wow. That sounds good. That sounds it's good. real good. No doubt that cover, too, is gorgeous. It's Is it scholastic? It's... It is scholastic. I was saying it's been... Because I think I've also then seen it on, on um, like, book flyers. You know, the, uh, the, um, the flyers that go home with, with the classes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thank you each for taking the time to talk through all of those titles and to share them that and 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 uh, affirm the the beautiful work that's going on in children's literature right now. Uh, Laura, you said you have one more. Do you want to just give a shout out to that one more book that that you brought with you? Absolutely. I'm going to give a shout out to the Parker Inheritance. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Um, and it's by Varian Johnson and it's fabulous and it has old, you know, historical stuff. It's a mystery. It has, you know, a really strong female protagonist and it's got a male protagonist, Brandon, who may, he's getting bullied for being different femme, queer, but we don't know exactly. It's got, it's got it all. That's what I'm going to say. It's got it all. It's got it all. Ah, uh, very Oh man, I think elementary, middle grade. It's it's I so good. That. Yeah, so good. So good. It's just like I, I'm nodding, just nodding. This, yeah, everyone read it. Yeah, beautiful. Exactly. Yeah, read it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um. So Alex, you have possibly a couple left. I know. I just have one more. Okay. Good. I good. Good. Okay. Because right. my other one was I wanted to talk about Jerome by Heart too. Oh. <laughs> um, but I'm glad you did that. No, the the I want to mention uh, Black Queen's Beating by Alex London. I love everything Alex London does. Um, and what he does is he puts queers into books that aren't about being queer. So it's a fantasy world where falconry is woven in, and it's about the the chosen one who doesn't want it, and the one who wants it but doesn't have it, and their siblings, and it's family, um, and the boy is gay, and the love interest is another boy, and no one cares. That's not important. Um, and sometimes it's beautiful for it to not matter. Um, that's what I love it. The series. It's a series. There's a new one coming out eventually. <laughs> Alex London has an infant. This is we. Ha we this is not fair. We have to wait for this. <laughs> don't uh, have babies when you're writing. Don't have babies when you're writing. <laughs> and in conclusion, don't have babies while you're writing. That's exactly what are they thinking? Honestly, <laughs> honestly. Oh. 
This is Darshna Kiani, children's author and book blogger. Want to find out the latest South Asian books and children's literature? Check out www.flowering-minds.com forward slash South Asian Kidlet. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by Matthew Winner in his library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 400 episodes at matthewcwinner.com forward slash podcast. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the Free Music Archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and do not reflect ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out with the show? Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that's a very good thing indeed. Before we leave, I want to give a shout out to all of my patrons, those folks who are supporting the podcast and keeping the lights on care of our Patreon page. Thank you, Jenny, Sue, Amy, Sarah, Kate, Lisa, Darshna, Marianne, Jarrett, Anitra, Mike, Lynn, Link, Corina, Cynthia, Elaine, Doug, Judy, Amanda, Ruth, Laura, Teresa, and others who are coming with me on this journey. You're welcome to come with us, too. Just visit patreon.com slash Matthew C. Winner and pick the support tier that's right for you. Teamwork makes the dream work, and each of you are helping to provide the tools necessary to make this podcast even greater. Thank you. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.